today on Ag News Daily. If you see a recovery in crude oil, maybe the commodity-wide selling slows down or pauses. And then, and again, maybe you do see a halfway decent bounce. But overall, you know, I, I do think the writing is on the wall that a lot of these very high-priced commodities, and crude oil included, are going to eventually be trading significantly lower prices. Well, listeners, happy Monday. It's Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell. I really, really need to get better at that, Delaney, because we are not alongside each other. I mean, well, yeah, in spirit, Tanner. Wouldn't it be better if we did this sitting at a news desk? With, well, we uh, would. Dramatic music yeah. and uh, everything coming down and also start up a YouTube channel. Yeah. So are you quitting the bank then? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> we got to get a, we got to get a nice little studio set up. We can uh, just sit around and play podcasters all day. That's fun. I like that idea. Let's put that into action. There you go. Well, we might be interested in moving to the Houston area because it seems like all the large corporations, at least those from California, are shifting their business to the Lone Star State. So headlines came out yesterday that Chevron plans to sell their California campus and move some of their staff to Texas. So the oil giant will leave their corporate headquarters in the Golden State, but they are taking advantage of the current real estate market to capitalize on selling their large campus. They do plan to sell that campus in the San Francisco Bay Area and provide a portion of their employees the option of moving to Houston. The second largest U.S. oil exporter will lease new office space in San Ramon, California, keeping its corporate headquarters in the Golden State, where it's been for more than 140 years. So these, they uh, have had their presence in the Houston area where they've been occupying the former Enron building, but this is now the fourth large corporation following in the footsteps of Caterpillar, Tesla, and Oracle shifting significant number of their employees to Texas. Well, Tanner, I don't have any job-related news, but I do have some weather-related news for our listeners today because they may have noticed temperatures have cooled off a little bit here on Monday afternoon, and we got quite a bit of timely rain in quite a few areas of the Northern Plains and Upper Midwest on Friday. We saw the central Corn Belt, primarily eastern Iowa, southern Wisconsin, and Illinois, actually had rainfall that outperformed forecast estimates and got quite a bit of timely rain, especially in Illinois, but overall 180 reports of severe weather damage and severe thunderstorms were reported in Northern Plains, the Upper Midwest, and the Central Corn Belt here over the weekend. As you look at the 14-day percent of normal rainfall, we are going to see less than normal rainfall for folks down in the southeast portion, Texas, Oklahoma, Panhandle, etc., and probably pretty moderate rainfall for this time of year here in the Midwest. But it's make or break time or it's starting to get that way for, you know, drought. Quite a few areas are experiencing a lot of heat and a lot of dryness for the final full week of June 2022, ending last week. It was a hot and dry one because Weather Trends 360 said this was the fifth hottest and first driest final full week of June in 30 plus years, even with some of those rainstorms, scattered rainstorms we saw over the weekend, Tanner. That's interesting because, you know, where we look in our backyard, uh, it's been very wet. But again, we know that 
that can be a case of the backyard itis. So interesting to hear those statistics. But the heat we had reported on a couple of weeks ago with uh, the extreme conditions having uh, adverse effects on the cattle herds in Kansas and Oklahoma area. But the cattle on feed report came out. So the number of cattle on feed in the United States as of June 1st grew, although May was a slower month than average. About 11.85 million cattle were on feed at the start of the month. That's up 1% over the same date last year. This marks the highest number of animals in feedlots since the beginning of record keeping in 1996 for the June month reported. About 1.87 million head were placed on feed in May. That is down 2% from the same month last year. Uh, the number of fed cattle in the market grew 2%. The biggest year-over-year gains per state, Delaney, for cattle on feed was California, where their feedlots for the start of June had a 5% increase. So they may be shipping people out, but it sounds like they've got cattle filling up their stockyards. So Nebraska, again, had solid numbers in their feedlots with a 4% year-over-year gain. Uh, Texas followed with a 3%. So large cattle feeding states uh, continuing to push through, but interesting to see our cattle on feed number the highest for the June month in history. Well, we are not going to see high numbers when it comes to crude oil production because OPEC, as of this morning, Tanner, has made cuts to their forecasted oil market surplus and is now lowering estimates to 1 million barrels per day versus previous expectations of 1.4 million barrels per day. Of course, OPEC is meeting later this week on Thursday, and it's a highly anticipated meeting because they're going to discuss plans to accelerate production and talk about some of the disruptions that are going on worldwide when it comes to Russia, Ukraine, and other countries. Could be a market mover, but until that time, crude oil continues to push higher and the gas tax that we discussed last week on the podcast, or the gas holiday as some are calling it, is pretty much dead in the water, it sounds like, Tanner. That will not be something that Congress will be taking up. Well, that makes a little bit of sense because there's headlines of Iowa Agricultural Secretary Tom Vilsack coming back to Iowa. He was the former Iowa governor, and he plans on announcing the funding for Biden's new program, uh, the passed bipartisan infrastructure law. So hard to cut gas tax and have funding available for other infrastructure packages. So very little has been leaked on the details at this time. The funding will aim to boost economic growth and reduce carbon footprints, as well as increasing renewable materials into the veins of sustainable efforts within the state of Iowa. He's expected to make a speech at the creamery around noon or 1230 tomorrow on Tuesday, uh, but it will be interesting. Like I've expressed my personal opinion uh, on these types of visits and announcements before, uh, I would expect the details to be lackluster at the time of announcement and more pomp and circumstance, but uh, it is good to see Iowa continuing to be a focus of political announcements as it relates to ag and infrastructure. Yeah, there certainly is a lot of pomp and circumstance that happens at those events. You know, I had to make sure I chose that phrase correctly because I'm not even sure I know exactly what it means. But if you understand, that means everybody else will too. I definitely understand it. I think that if you've been to an event like this, you'll understand that as well. 
But Tanner, switching tracks here a little bit, looking at Russia, Ukraine, you know, we've gotten some fresh reports that more attacks happened over the weekend in once again, some very key areas of Ukraine grain exports and shipments. But the other industry that really we haven't focused a lot of time talking about, but has been impacted very drastically as well, is the dairy sector, which accounts for, after crops, the second largest agricultural export market for Ukraine. And the majority of dairy farms in Ukraine are family-owned, with industrial farms also being a good percentage of their dairy production. But before the war, these 10 regions that are occupied by Russia in the mostly eastern and southern part portions of the country, which are now Russian-occupied, produce more than 42% of the total volume of raw milk that comes out of the country of Ukraine. Now, since the beginning of the Russian invasion, Ukraine has lost approximately 100,000 cows And in those territories that are Russian-occupied or close to military action, milk production has dropped by 50%, Tanner. Whoa. Yeah. A lot of milk production happens there, which is, again, something we just haven't been talking about or watching because we've been so focused in on the grain markets. But there are more than 100 milk processing plants in Ukraine, and currently about 37 of them, 40 of them, are occupied by Russia and are not producing or processing milk. Wow. I mean, we continue to see headlines about Russia and Ukraine. The other one that I can stumbled across uh, is related to uh, Lebanon and Somalia. So uh, you talked about the dairy products. Uh, these countries rely a lot on Ukraine for their foodstuffs. And it states that they're pushing nearly 7 million people into crisis level food insecurity. They depend upon Ukraine for a bulk of its wheat. Oh, and dairy products. Look at that lead in. That was a welcomed surprise there. Uh, but they are these multiple countries are counting on that country for their staples and are now vulnerable to hunger, according to analysis that comes from the Washington based International Food Policy Research Institute. So not good news there, but also not great news. For my last little anecdotal piece today, the University of Nebraska Lincoln found that during busy seasons, farmers sleep an average of 28 minutes less every night. And while that 28 minutes doesn't seem like a lot, your ever-growing to-do list weighs heavily on your decision-making. So when you start your season and subtract 30 minutes from every night over a six-week busy season, that's a significant impact. So Delaney, they ran 40 people through a study, the Actigraph Spectrum Plus. So they had to wear wrist monitors, that continuously recorded their daily motion and activity as well as their sleep schedule. And uh, the people in this study who slept less than seven and a half hours per night were at an increased risk of injury by 61%. So uh, lots of data in this study, but uh, the basic thing here that they suggested is even if you can take a brief, brief break to take a nap in the middle of the day, Uh, Anything from 20 to 30 minutes will certainly improve and sharpen your reactions so we can avoid these accidents that were noted during the study. All I'm hearing from this is that I need to take a nap this afternoon. Yeah, why don't you go do that? I'll finish up and uh, we'll be good from there. (laughs) That would be amazing, if only. 
Absolutely. So yeah, that was the last piece I had today. What do you have, Delaney? I have just one final piece of news as well, Tanner, looking at some of the court cases that have been going through the Supreme Court. You know, last week we reported on the Hardeman v. Monsanto, which is one of the cases that Bayer took over when they acquired Monsanto, alleging that Hardeman had cancer due to his exposure to Roundup Ready, which of course the Supreme Court upheld that decision. Well, they upheld another decision today and rejected Bayer's petition on product liability verdict in the Pilead v. Monsanto case, another cancer case, and this one won multi-million dollars as well. So the Supreme Court certainly is not uh, not seeming to be working with Bayer when it comes to these cases. And you have to wonder, like, what what kind of risk exposure did they assess when they acquired Monsanto? To, surely they knew these cases, you know, were coming down the pipeline and some of them were already in the works when they acquired Monsanto. But how do you incorporate that into your purchase price, Tanner? Well, it, correct. It's certainly a, a piece of consideration. I truly think the only reason they were contesting those two verdicts was the result that they got out of that Kansas case, Kansas case that was uh, awarded in their favor. So, um, interestingly enough, if you see that they did not overturn previous rulings, probably means that uh, the uh, challenger in that Kansas case is going to ask for a retrial would be my guess. If mm. Supreme Court is following previously guided case law, unless uh, that individual had much differentiating, cir- differentiating circumstances. So quite interesting there to continue to watch, but uh, that was quick. We had just reported on that a couple of weeks ago that they had yeah. challenged those two. And yep. now we've already got those answers. Yes, we certainly do. And we're going to get answers here with Ted Seifert about what's going on in the commodity markets here for today. So before we get to that, Tanner, let's look at where markets ended for today. We certainly had some mixed trade today when it comes to the grain markets. We saw weakness in corn and wheat today, strength in soybeans. September new crop, or excuse me, September old crop corn down 21 and a half cents to close at 661 and a quarter. Dece new crop corn down 21 cents, settling the day out at 653. August soybeans added eight and three quarters cents to close at 1529 and a half. Nove new crop beans up eight and a half cents to close at 1432 and three quarters. Wheat today, as I mentioned, lower in all commodity contracts, Chicago, Casey, and Minneapolis. Chicago Dece contract today down 19 and a quarter cent to close at 933. KC hard red winter wheat in the Dece contract down 19 and a quarter cent to close at 988 and three quarters. Livestock today had kind of an opposite story as live cattle trended higher, even though surprisingly, Tanner, you mentioned that cattle on feed report earlier. Markets did not seem to care and shrugged that news right off. August live cattle added a dime today to close at 133.47. The October added 37.5 cents, ending the day at 140.12.5. Feeder cattle added $1.72.5 in the September contract, settling at 176.80. The October up a buck 85, closing the day out at 178.92.5. Lean hogs saw some weakness today with the August contract shedding $1.90 to close at 104.87. The October down a buck 30, settling the day at 91.02 and a half. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Ted Seifred. 
Ted, there has been a lot of weakness in the grain markets last week, and today we saw some mixed trade between corn and soybeans and wheat. What is going on? Yeah, you know, going back to last week, we had a little bit of a shift in the weather forecast after a three-day holiday weekend. Uh, usually, this time of year, that's enough to uh, really change markets, and and that's part of it. But you know. Overall, you have something happening in commodities uh, just as a whole that it really has to be in the conversation when you're talking about grains and fundamentals and things like that. And, and it really is, you know, this inflation off climate that we're having. There is this general feeling that inflation is cooling down because of the wealth destruction that has happened in cryptocurrency markets, in, in stock markets. You know, if you look at things like cotton really falling apart, lumber. Uh, copper, you know, just there's a, a lot of destruction happening in commodity prices. Uh, and, and, you know, the grains aren't immune to that. I, I would say the grains had been propped up to some extent by concerns about weather, but you take that away and you have your large speculative crowd that has been looking at commodities as a hedge against inflation that are already looking to exit um, now having another reason to exit long corn positions because, you know, hey, the, the weather is better. So, yeah, uh, very big slide. We had a, a bit of a bounce last Friday, you know, trying to take some of that back. But, you know, we had a little better than expected rains uh, over the weekend and, you know, right back uh, under pressure here on Monday. Now, the beans did all right. Uh, the July trying to find some footing. The old crop soybean situation is still rather tight so that the beans and the meal uh, and, the, and the soybean oil are, are still uh, – yeah, you know, there's, there's just not a ton of it between now and when we get to harvest, really anywhere in the world. So, you know, that's kind of the saving grace that you have for old crop soybeans at the moment. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a climate change in the commodity world as a whole. Uh, but then also, you know, again, uh, we are trading a weather market as we do this time of year. So there's uh, quite a few economists out there with forecasts for when, if, or if it's guaranteed a recession might hit, how much of an impact is the thought of a looming recession have on what traders are doing right now in the commodities? You can kind of argue that we are in the beginnings of that already, right? Uh, you've seen the stock market drop 22% since the beginning of the year. You've seen the largest wealth destruction event that we've seen in the history of mankind happening in the cryptocurrency. And I know, you know, for most of us, we don't love to talk about the cryptocurrency market because it's, you know, uh, what is that? You know, whatever. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, I mean, we've, we've seen over $1.8 trillion of, of wealth destruction occur in the cryptocurrency market uh, since the beginning of the year, right? Well, really since the uh, middle of November of last year. And when that happens, it takes money out of the economy. And when money is leaving the economy, not only does it cool off inflation, but it leads to the possibility of a recession. And you can't have a negative 1% GDP like we saw last time around, and at the same time, 8 and arguably closer to 11% inflation. That is a recipe for disaster. And in the meantime, you have a Fed who has been uh, recklessly complacent uh, by allowing the inflation now having to try to prove a point uh, and playing from behind. And it's sort of a dangerous thing. So, you know, I, <laughs> I think, you know, there's a lot of people calling for a recession. Like I said, you know, you can almost argue that we're starting to get into that already. 
Uh, and so what do we do with that in commodity land? Well, I don't know. You, you got to respect the very high prices that we've had across the board for over two years now. Uh, and you have to realize what happens when that inflation goes away. You have to realize that if you take inflation away from these markets, you will get demand destruction in earnings because these prices are definitely high enough to cause that demand, demand destruction. They just haven't done it to the extent that you would expect because inflation has allowed it to happen. But again, you take that inflation away, demand destruction happens in earnest. And even if you say, well, you know, we didn't plant enough corn acres this year, we're having weather issues in places, maybe this crop's gonna be a little bit short. Okay, but if you cut out, you know, a third of the demand that we're expecting for next year, it really doesn't matter how short the crop is. Well, it, it matters in the sense of it, it puts the floor in how low we can go. But in my mind, you know, in this, in this, Outside market climate, you know, if we are in fact having this inflationary bubble burst at this point, you go back to 2008, 2009, you can have grain fundamentals that are as bullish, if not maybe even more bullish than what we're looking at today, and still have a very significant price decline. Uh, and I think people need to be very aware of that. We are not just trading grain fundamentals at this point. There is a larger gorilla in the room. But I think that's an interesting point you make there, too, because I it's hard to believe or remember that we've been in this upswing, this bull market for two years. It doesn't feel like it's been two years, but it's interesting that you put it in that perspective. Now you mentioned it a price. In October of yeah. So it's been, it's been more than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to follow up on a point you made there and that's the price floor because Let's talk new crop corn here. We broke through $7. We've traded significantly lower from there, but where is our new level of support in new crop corn? I mean, you know, we've, we've, like we just talked about, we've spent a long time coming up here, so we do have layers of support. The thing is that it hasn't really mattered. You know, you look at last week and we had uh, really rather strong support around 681 and three quarters in December corn, and we just smashed through it without even blinking. Uh, then we had our 100-day moving average, which is a really strong level of support. Um, and we just smashed through it without even blinking. <laughs> uh, so you wonder, you know, are we trading technicals at this point? Um, you know, you don't know. At least for today, we tried to hold on to Friday's low. That's going to be a very key level of support. But, I mean, it's certainly not far away from where we closed. So, Beyond that, you have to start looking at the 200-day moving average, which is down at 612. Then you feel like the, the psychological $6 level is, is you know, the next thing that we look at. But really, I mean, you look at the congestion that we had from November to about February. Uh, that is a level where there is a lot of support down there. There's a lot of trade down there. But you're going all the way down about 560 before you start seeing that. So, yeah, uh, it's... Um, I would like to see corn hold here for, for the time being, because, you know, we've got this report coming out on Thursday. We have some fairly friendly expectations for this report, um, and maybe you see some short covering in front of it. But if you do, I think it might not be a bad time to look at some strategies out in December corn. We've been talking to our clients for months saying, hey, by the time we get to the 4th of July, we want you 65, 70, 75% sold on new crops. So hopefully those new crop sales are happening. But I also think you're in a time frame where you need to be looking at 
the rest of you're putting on some sort of floor, some sort of protection on the rest of your your new crop expectations. But maybe even going out, you know, another crop here beyond that, or even two beyond that. Uh, I think you really got to do as much as you can to take advantage of these prices while you can. Uh, and again, I'd love to see a, uh, a halfway decent recovery bounce, possibly in front of the report that comes out on Thursday. Uh, but again, I think everybody's got to be looking for opportunities to sell here at this point. This is a much different climate, um, and I have a much different message than when we were sitting here talking a year ago in June. You have to treat it differently. You know, you have to understand that things have changed dramatically on the macroeconomic front. So, Ted, you mentioned the report that's coming out later this week. Tell us, what are you thinking we'll see for acreage numbers? Are we going to see any sort of a shift here? Uh, you know, Delaney, it's interesting. I had expected the average trade guesses to think that corn acres were going to be down uh, by a bit because of the issues that, that the planning issues in North Dakota, South Dakota, and parts of Minnesota. The reality of that is the trade's looking for a slight uptick in corn acres and a slight pullback in bean acres. And that's honestly pretty close to what I'm expecting as well. Uh, I, I do think, you know, as I drive around here in the United States, you see a lot more corn than you do beans, uh, which doesn't really jive with what the planting intentions report said. Uh, now, granted, the United States weren't the states that were seeing the, the huge, massive increase in, in soybean acres. Um, but again, I think since that report came out, guys have kind of said, well, you know what? I want to plant a little bit more corn. So for me, I wouldn't be surprised if we had somewhere around 90 million acres of corn and roughly 90 million acres of soybeans. Maybe, maybe just under 90 million acres for corn and maybe just slightly over 90 million for soybeans. Uh, but overall, I think the, the intended acres for the most part got in. I, I don't see this big 2 million acre drop that uh, some people had talked about. Um, and again, you know, I think we kind of compensated for some of the the acres that weren't getting planted uh, in the Dakotas and Minnesota. At uh, least not getting planted in corn. I think some of that was compensated for in the United States. And, and for the most part, I think the soybeans got in up there. Uh, whether they look good or not is a different story. Uh, but it's very early in the growing season. That is great perspective on the commodity side of things. But pre-recording, we had hit a little bit. Uh, on a discussion around the crude market. So what, what are you seeing over there? Uh, certainly a lot of headlines around uh, speculation, um, some spot prices surging, obviously some potential boost in demand. What, what are we seeing in that market? You know, crude oil is, is for the longest time, I've been using it as sort of the canary in the coal mine to gauge inflation. Um, but I don't know if that, I don't know if that status really works very well. I think the, the crude oil is sort of the last bastion of uh, commodity markets that I think can hold on to strength just simply because, you know, people are still driving the time of year that we have, you know, this is still peak sort of uh, demand time for unleaded gasoline. Um, and there is just, you know, there's, there's issues with refinery, refining. Uh, and there are issues with other areas of the world, obviously Russia with the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, so the crude still looks all right on a chart, even though, you know, we have broken very significantly off five. You had August, which is the front month crude, actually get uh, below 100 or, or go and, and test the 100, uh, coming down from its high of 122. Um, but today, which we traded both sides of the we are back on the positive side of things. So crude does seem like it wants to try to push higher once again, and that can 
be somewhat helpful for obviously uh, uh, soybean uh, oil in the form of biodiesel as a competitor. It's not extremely helpful for ethanol because for ethanol, what we really want is, is unleaded gasoline prices to drop so that we see more demand and that we use more of the blend. Um, but yeah, crude oil, again, acts like it wants to go higher. Um, if you see a recovery in crude oil, maybe the commodity-wide selling slows down or pauses. And, then, and again, maybe you do see a halfway decent bounce. But overall, you know, I, I do think the writing is on the wall that a lot of these very high-priced commodities, and crude oil included, are going to eventually be trading significantly lower prices as we do get into potentially a recessionary economy and we start to see that demand destruction happen at these higher prices. That is, that is unfortunately all the time we have for today. But before we let you go, if folks want to tag along with you on social media or pick your brain, how can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. You can also find us on the web at www.zaner.com. Uh, you can read a bit about us. You can also sign up for our morning agent newsletter. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, uh, I am on the Twitterverse at, at the Ted Spread. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Ted. We'll look forward to having you on again real soon. Well, again, a big thank you there to Ted for joining us today. You had a good, you, you've been getting really much better at this, Tanner. I think that you could just handle markets and I can just step on out. <laughs> That's like one of those compliments that was, oh, you were terrible to begin with. But you're getting well, better. So good job. Way to, way to practice. Yeah. Or it's just like, I know that I can be gone and you'll have it covered. Ah, uh, that's right. Yes. No, I have been learning a lot along the way. I appreciate you letting me tag along. Uh, and I'm looking forward to what we cover for the rest of the week. So what do you say for this Monday episode? We let the listeners go. Let's let them go.